appreciate Bob making those introductory remarks. It's, it's so good to be here. Um, I've played this out. I, I've, I've preached here a few times since I left uh, for college, but uh, it's just different when you come back to do a gospel meeting. That's a little daunting, I guess, but I'm really excited. I'm really thankful. I do have a few things I want to say. And like I said, I've played this out in my mind and I've thought, well, I could get emotional. Uh, and that happens sometimes, so if I do, then bear with me. I'm going to plan on not getting emotional, but um, this group means a lot to me. I'm, I'm working under the assumption that a lot of you know who I am, and maybe that's not good, but I, th I think a lot of you probably know me a lot better than I, I wish you did. <laughs> I, I grew up going here uh, from the time I was in middle school um, and graduated high school, still came back. It's been since 2005 when I, when I left, but I've still come back a lot, and I, so I've just gotten to know a lot of you, even people that weren't members when, when I was going here. Um, and it's just, a, it really, I, I just love this group a lot. I, lo I love you all so much. Um, I remember all the high school devos. I remember all of the times where we had spend the night parties and things like that at people's houses, staying up late, making the parents mad. Uh, the Markhams in particular, probably, uh, and several, <laughs> several others. Um, I also remember before we ever had this auditorium, and I remember when we were, uh, I think it was back this way in another auditorium. That's where I was baptized. Um, I remember that. I remember coming on a Sunday afternoon and, and being baptized here. I remember falling asleep in that pew <laughs> a lot <laughs> and wondering if Bob saw me um, and just hoping that somehow he didn't, um, but he did, I think. Yeah, he did, yeah. But he probably saw the ones over here that are falling asleep too, so I knew I wasn't alone. I saw them, so I, I was like, okay, we, we're all on the same page here. Um, I remember going through difficulties even. Um, oh, wow. Um, <laughs> okay, all right, well, there we go. Uh, we'll say a prayer and be done then. Um, I, I, I do remember going through hard times, and I remember a lot of you being there for me giving me some good advice and wisdom. Um, I remember being picked up to come to worship when I was, before I could drive, by several people. Um, the Markhams were involved in that. Also, uh, Sonia Phillips. And um, I don't see her here today, but I, I think about her a lot, probably more than she realizes that I do. And I will say uh, that whenever I come here and I see Fred here, um, it just, it just warms my heart to, to think of him and to think of her influence on him. It warms my heart for another reason when I see DeWitt <laughs> and, <laughs> and I just wonder if he's gonna get, come up and give me a kiss or not. Uh, and it's, it's just a real, real roll of the dice on that one. Um, but there's just so many of you that I, I care about and I love and I just wanna tell you that I, I, I thank you and I love you and you've made an imprint on my life and I'm just thankful to be here with my wife and with my mom. And I plan for this to be the last time that I get weepy this week, but we'll see what happens. Um, all right, so th this week what we're gonna be looking at is we're gonna be looking at Acts 18 through 20. This is Paul's third missionary journey. And what I wanna do this morning with our class time is just kind of give some background on this uh, third journey of Paul and our theme for this week, which is on discipleship. So we're going to be spending some time uh, in Acts 18 through 20 today, um, or the, the rest of this week, really. Just to give you an idea of where Paul was going, um, 
he was going like he did the first couple of journeys, going through all these different areas, trying to establish churches. By the third journey, he's already established a lot of churches in different areas. Hopefully you can see this map okay. This is not exactly like, oh, this is the route, but the best we can see, this is basically where Paul went. And instead of establish, establishing new churches, now he's kind of going through and encouraging current churches, encouraging Christians that are going through difficult times, strengthening them, helping them, while also teaching in synagogues and public areas, trying to draw Jews and Gentiles to Christ. So he starts uh, this journey in Antioch of Syria, which is up here on the right side. And then he starts going over, and one of the big places he goes in this third journey is Ephesus. That's actually going to be um, a place we're going to draw two lessons uh, from um, this, this week, um, is his time in Ephesus. As far as we know, uh, he spent about three years in Ephesus, which is based on what we know is one of the longest times he spent anywhere. And then he just kind of keeps going. He gets run out of town, and he keeps going to other places. Um, there is an issue where there's a trap for him, so he has to divert plans, go somewhere else. At the end of his third journey, he winds up back in Jerusalem. He gets arrested, and then he's going to be led off to Rome because he appeals to Caesar. So that is basically Paul's third journey. If you want to know the purposes of his journey, like I said, it's that he's strengthening churches and current Christians. So part of what we're going to look at this week is lessons we can draw from what Paul says and just the, the reactions that he has or reactions people have to him that maybe could be encouragement to us and strengthen us as Christians. Um, he actually goes not just to encourage, but to be encouraged. So we're going to talk about that uh, in particular Tuesday night. And then he's also trying to teach the lost, Jews and Gentiles. He'll start in the synagogue, and then he'll, he'll teach there until they say, get out of here. And then he goes somewhere else, and he's just not going to stop. And then when he needs to go somewhere else, he'll go to another town. That's just his habit. But his whole point is to try to get people to be disciples of Jesus, to try to get people to follow Christ. So I thought it'd be good if we just talked this first time, this first hour on what is a disciple. If we're going to talk about discipleship the rest of this week uh, through Wednesday night, then maybe it's good just to define what a disciple is. And I, I know this is meant to be more of a, of a sermon, but, and it will be that, but to start out, I do want to open it up and just ask for, ask, ask two questions as we start. And if you feel comfortable answering, if you don't mind just answering, uh, you don't have to yell. I'll try to repeat whatever I hear you say, and then that way everyone will know what you said. But let's just start here. What do you think a disciple is? Anybody have a thought on what a disciple is? A follower, a follower. yeah. Anybody else? A student. a student, yeah. A student, a follower. What other words have you heard of to describe a disciple? Something close to student, a learner, maybe? Um, is there a word that you use, maybe not in your daily life, but maybe especially if you have kids, you will use it in your daily life. Is there a word that seems to resemble disciple that you use day in and day out? Discipline, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a connection with this word discipline and disciple. So a disciple is a learner, is a follower, a pupil, someone that is brought up and taught. A disciple is someone that is trying to follow a certain pattern, try to follow a certain mold. That's what a disciple is. But let's think outside of a religious sense for a second and just ask this question. What other ways could we use the term disciple in a non-religious sense? 
Anybody? Sports. Sports. Yeah, I thought that one. Yeah. Politics. Politics. Okay. You could use it in education as well. Like a, a professor might have a disciple. You know, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not a professor. Um, some of you are. So uh, you would understand that way better than I would. Nor am I an athlete that's a professional athlete, nor am I really into politics. But my understanding is you could have disciples in a lot of other areas. Maybe another word that we kind of use that is similar but not the same at all is like a mentor. A mentoring relationship is similar to a disciple relationship, but it's not the same because you're not truly trying to follow that person. A mentor is just trying to teach some skills and things like that. But, but when you look at education, I mean, you could have a professor and then someone is brought up underneath them and is taught. That would be very common in this day. You would have Jewish uh, boys in particular would be brought up at the feet of a certain person, taught by them, uh, taught to pattern their lives after them, try to emulate them. That is a disciple relationship. So Jesus coming on the scene and having disciples is nothing new. In fact, John the Baptist had a lot of disciples. Um, so this is not something that would be foreign for these people of Jesus' day. This, this idea of, hey, come learn of me, follow me, would just be very, very um, common. But for us, maybe it's a little bit different. We, what we want usually is we want someone to show us just certain tips and tricks. That's not a disciple relationship. Um, what we sometimes want is we want someone that's going to be able and show us how we get to their level. But in our minds, we actually want to go beyond that, right? So, for instance, in the workplace, if you have someone that is mentoring you, you don't want to just have their job. You, want to, you usually want to go above their job, right? Um, you, you want to be greater than them. And they sometimes want that for you, as long as it doesn't mean that they get fired or something like that. But, but we, we know what that's like, but that's not discipleship. Being a disciple of Jesus is different than that. It's not trying to be like that person and then be better. Um, in fact, one of the ways that discipleship in other areas and non-religious senses really falls apart when we compare it to being a disciple of Jesus is that in all of these other ways, whether it's athletics, whether it's in politics, whether it's in the workplace or anything else, when we want to be a disciple underneath someone, uh, we really want to make our name great. I mean, if we're, if we're honest about it. Like, we want something for ourselves and our family. We want something better, and we want to, we want to make something better. Um, but being a disciple of Jesus is, is just different. It's not like that at all. Being a disciple of Jesus isn't about making our name great. It's about exalting the name of Jesus. And we have to understand that that's what it means. We are a follower, a learner, and not just for a time. Being a disciple of Jesus means that we are committed to being that forever. And if we get that out of balance and out of whack, then we're forgetting what it means to be a disciple. Um, and that's hard for us because we have pride. We have greed sometimes. We have jealousy. We have certain ambition that just stirs up, and we need to keep that in check. That's going to be the challenge as we look at being a disciple this week is that we have to be honest about our own desires and see how they get in the way of us following Christ, truly humbling ourselves and following Christ. Matthew 28 is, is one place that I think really helps us see what a disciple is. So Matthew 28, it's going to be on the screen. If you want to open to Matthew, that'll be really helpful because we are going to look at a few different passages in Matthew. In Matthew 28, this is where Jesus sends out his apostles uh, after he has been, uh, been killed and he has been resurrected and appeared to them. He's about to ascend back to heaven and he tells them in verse 18, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So he's talking to current disciples, but he tells them, you need to go. You need to make disciples. You need to baptize them. That is um, a condition for being a disciple. He says you need to teach them to observe what I've commanded. And then he gives this promise, I'm with you always. You know, one thing that is actually very unique to being a disciple of Jesus compared to being a disciple in any other context in our life, there's this one phrase that he uses. He says, you go make disciples of all nations. That's pretty unique, right? Any person, anywhere, uh, anytime, doesn't matter what you look like, doesn't matter what your education is, doesn't matter your family life, doesn't, doesn't matter any of that. Jesus says, you go make disciples of all nations. That's really special. That should speak to us. Um, I, know, I don't know if this is true for all of us here, but most of us here have been brought up in a culture where being a Christian is something that is just very common and familiar, and it would be difficult for us to try and, I don't know, unfamiliarize the offer to follow Christ, to be part of this discipleship. But try and imagine that. Try and imagine that this is unique and special, that this person that is the Christ, the Messiah, that, that he is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, that God planned to sin since time began, that he actually says, anyone can follow me. Anyone can learn from me. Not just the elite. Not just the Jews. Not just if you have a lot of money. Not just if you have a lot of education already. Not just if you're perfect. None of that. All nations. This is a really special invitation that Jesus sends these people out to make. Go tell them that anyone is able to come and follow me. Go make disciples of anyone. So this is what he says to current disciples. So here's what we learn when it comes to looking at ourselves and think about ourselves being disciples. Making disciples means that we teach and instruct because we've been taught and instructed. So we need to really look inward first. Have we been taught? Have we truly been taught and instructed what Jesus says? If so, then now we need to help make disciples. There's a few other things I would just want to notice. Uh, I think we've already touched on this, but just want to make these points before we go to some other text in Matthew. When we say that we are committed to being a disciple, what that means is we're committed to taking hard instructions from Jesus and following them. So for them, he says, go. Maybe we see that we need to change our lifestyle because we see the teaching of Jesus and the apostles says we need to. That's a hard instruction. You know, another hard instruction is to love your enemies, but Jesus said we should do it. Another hard instruction is that we need to forgive. That, that's what Jesus tells us to do, but, but that's hard for us to do. But if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, we forgive. If we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, we don't show partiality. If we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, we're willing to give up all that we have for someone else that does not have. Um, if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, we're willing to wash someone's feet, even if you want to take that metaphorically, you know. We're willing to serve. There's some hard instructions, but if we're going to be a disciple, that's what that means. We're going to do that. Being a disciple means that we are committed to getting more people to follow who we follow. We're not trying to get people to follow us. Paul spent a lot of time trying to correct that. 
Like he says to the Corinthians, I'm glad I didn't baptize a lot of you people. Not because they were terrible, because they were actually elevating him and elevating whoever else taught them and baptized them. It's not about us getting followers of ourselves. It's about us saying, hey, look who I'm following. I want you to follow him. Being a disciple means we help teach and instruct. We might not know a lot. When Jesus casts out a demon from a, a demon-possessed man um, in Mark chapter 5, there's this very interesting thing he tells him. After the demons left him, um, it was actually demons, the legion, right? The, the man says, I want to follow you. Can, can I go with you? And Jesus says, no. I want you to go home, and I want you to tell your friends and family what the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. This, is, this was a big deal for me, so maybe this will um, mean something to you. You don't have to know everything to tell somebody something, right? You, you, all you might know is that, look, what I know is that God sent Jesus to die for our sins. And if you repent and be baptized in his name, you'll be forgiven of your sins. Maybe that's all you know. Well, you can tell someone that then. Maybe they're going to have some questions that you don't know. Well, that's why you have Bob, right? <laughs> You, you have other people you can get help from where you can be further taught. But if you know something, say it. If you don't know something, maybe don't say it, though. If you don't know something is true, don't, don't go saying these things are true. There's a guy that goes to church with us who, um, I, I, I won't say his name because that would just be inappropriate. But he, he says things sometimes, and I'm not saying they're not true, but... I'm not saying they're 100% true. <laughs> and he just doesn't know. He, he's, he's not really able to process things fully. And I think what he knows is what he knows. And there's not a whole lot of teaching him. Not because he's stubborn. That's true. Uh, but it's not because he's stubborn. It's because he's just, he's not able to comprehend things. Uh, one time he, taught, he, he called me and he was uh, talking to some people on the street in Atlanta. And he said, hey, Blake, where's that Bible verse that says that you better take the Lord's Supper every Sunday? I was like, I mean, I mean, uh, <laughs> I could give you some verses, but I don't know. It's not saying exactly what you're saying, though. But that's how he was taught. Hey, you better, you better do this every Sunday. And it's like, I was like, well, I almost said his name. But uh, I said, I can't give you that one verse. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you some verses. Okay, here's some verses. Go to Acts 20, verse 7. Go to 1 Corinthians 11, things like that. But, but we need to be careful when we're talking to people that we don't just say things because we think they're true without being able to verify they're true in the Scriptures. The same thing that Bob said about me, right? When, when I'm up here speaking, I, I want to make sure you match up everything I say with Scripture the best that, that you can. Because if it's not there, then throw it away. Come tell me, okay? And we need to be careful when we're talking to other people. They're, we're not spreading things that we think are doctrine and truth when we can't even verify it. Being a disciple means we lead people to follow Jesus like we follow. That doesn't mean we're perfect, but we need to be committed to following him even when we slip up. We're going to talk about this uh, actually this morning, but um, in just a little bit. But part of being a disciple is understanding that when we're wrong, we take that correction and we continue learning and following. And we need to spread that to other people. Instead of spreading some sort of idea of fitting into like some perfection mold that we can't even fit into, like that's what it means to follow Jesus, we just need to tell them, hey, like you're going to slip up, you're going you're gonna to fall, but you need, you need to follow him. And when you fall, you can be forgiven. That's the kind of thing we need to spread to people. 
So let's keep talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm going to go to Matthew chapter 4 and then Matthew chapter 10. We're going to bring out four points uh, from Matthew 4, Matthew 10, and then that'll be it for our time this morning uh, for the Bible class time. So Matthew 4, beginning in verse 18. Everything we've said so far is assuming we are disciples. Now let's look at what it actually means to be a disciple. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Here's two guys doing the thing that they're supposed to do. They're fishing. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's the first thing. He's, now, maybe they knew him. Maybe they saw him before. There's a, there's a high likelihood when you combine the other Gospels that they knew who he was already. But they're doing the thing that they know to do, and, it, and it's a good thing. They're, they're fishing. And now Jesus comes up and says, I want you to follow me, and I'll make you into something different. You're going to be fishers of men. Um, maybe that made more sense to them when he said that, but for me, being a fisher of a man just sounds very strange. Uh, being a fisher of a person, what does that even mean? But look what they did. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Did they know what was in store? Doesn't seem like it. Do they know exactly what the rest of that day looks like for them? I don't think so. But they knew something about him that was, it was worth it enough to drop their nets and follow him. And they're not the only ones that do that. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. So here they are with their father. They're mending nets. And he called them. He called them the same way he called Andrew and Simon. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So not only did they drop the nets and drop the thing that they're used to doing, to follow this person, follow, follow this Jesus of Nazareth, that they don't know is the Christ yet, but they actually leave their father in the boat. <laughs> um, I don't know what that conversation was like. Uh, but I don't know if he was yelling after them as they walked away. I have no idea, but... Like the willingness just to drop everything and go. That's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple learns and follows Jesus. Disciples have answered the call of the gospel. If you've answered the call of the gospel, then you're a disciple. But that means that you've changed. That means that you've, you've answered the invitation to change, to, to, to be changed, to be molded into something different, to drop what's familiar to follow this person. And I know it's different because Jesus isn't here among us today that is actually calling to us to follow him. Drop your nets or drop your pen or stop typing and follow him. I know it's different, but it really is meant to be the same. Like we should, we should, this should feel very real to us that we understand that following him means, all right, I'm leaving everything and I'm following you because I believe something about you. Let's go to Matthew chapter 10. That's the first thing about a disciple. A disciple is someone that has answered the call of the gospel. Like we looked at in Matthew 28, part of that call of the gospel is to be baptized into him, into his name. But there's more to it than, than just that. In Matthew chapter 10, we're going to skip down to verse 24. Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for difficult days. And what he says in verse 24 might not sound very comforting. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant his master. 
It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. What is Jesus saying there about discipleship? What is he saying about following him? I think what he's saying is that we are in a, an ongoing discipleship relationship with Jesus. I don't know if that term is actually real, uh, but I, I thought it made sense, so I put it on the screen. But that, that's what he's inviting them to do. Okay, you're following me, but you're never above me. A disciple is never above his, his, his teacher. A servant is never above his master. Do you, do you believe that's true? That in, as you think about following Christ, as you think about your, your life as a Christian, do you have that perspective that he is always greater, he is always above, that he's always teaching, that we're, we're always in a state of learning, being shaped and molded? Having that humility is hard, but that's, that's what it takes to be a disciple of Jesus. You keep going down in Matthew, 20, uh, in Matthew 10, and he says that we need to have no fear of people in verse 26, but then verse 27, he says, that he says, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Now skip down to verse 32. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Another basic thing about being a disciple of Jesus is that disciples proclaim who they follow and they spread Jesus' teaching. We confess him. We're not ashamed of him. We say, yes, that, that, that is, that's who I believe in. I believe that's the Son of God. Yes, I follow Jesus. And we not only proclaim him and say, yeah, he's great, and you know, look at his character, but we also say the things that he said, which sometimes is hard. Sometimes it's, it's hard to say, and sometimes it's really hard for people to hear. But being a disciple of Jesus means that we say the things that he has said. He even says, hey, if, if it was whispered, you shout it. <laughs> maybe, maybe, I, maybe Jesus called the disciples close and, and said things just for them, but after he left, he was going to send them out, and they were going to shout it from the housetops. That's dangerous sometimes, to say things that we see in Scripture and just say them. But that's what it means to be a disciple. And the last thing from Matthew 10, you go down to verse 37. He says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Disciples put their commitment to Jesus first. It's over family. It's over your own self, your desires, your ambition, your own life. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life, those three words are, are really important. For my sake. Not just lose your life, but you lose your life for his sake. You'll find your life. This verse 37 actually hits me a little differently now. Because one day, uh, when we have a little boy coming up, and I'm going to try and help teach him, we're going to try to help teach him about, about Christ, about God, about the gospel, and all of that, one day I'm going to have to look at him and say, I'm going to need you to love God more than you love me. 
I'm going to need you to love Christ and be committed to following him more than me. I'm going to need you to do what he says before you ever do what I say. <laughs> I'm, going to try to do, I'm going to try to tell you to do the things that he has said, but if I'm ever wrong, you're going to have to love him more than you love me. You know, that, that's what it means to be a disciple. It's hard. Being committed to Christ sometimes splits families. I'm not saying that's good, but it has happened. We need to be committed to Christ so much that we're going to follow him in spite of the loss, in spite of the heartache, in spite of the ramifications of our commitment. This is what it means to be a disciple. Since I have a little bit more time, I'm going to do one more text, and then this will be it. Matthew 16. Matthew 16. Jesus has just foretold his death and resurrection. Right before that, he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they, there was many answers that they'd heard among the crowds. And he said, well, who, who do you say that I am? That's where Peter makes this great confession saying that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. But then you get to verse 24. So he, he just prepared them. They've, they've confirmed they believe he is the Christ and he's confirmed it. He is the Christ. And now he's prepared them for his death. Verse 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Verse 24 through 26 is just really hard and challenging. Um, but this is what it means to be a disciple. If you want to come after Jesus and follow him and answer his invitation, he says, you need to deny yourself. That doesn't mean you, you say, I'm not who I am anymore. <laughs> I mean, maybe you could say something like that, I guess. I'm changed, that kind of, but you don't, you don't deny that you exist. But you deny all the things that you have been. You, you, you put aside all of those things. You, you deny your wants and desires, and you defer instead to the one that you follow. He says, you need to take up your cross and follow me. Well, we live in a different society. The idea of someone carrying a cross, I mean, I suppose someone could do that in a parade and they would be, I don't know, that would be, I guess, strange and everything like that. But like, that would not be something that would be common for us to see people carrying crosses. But in, in those days, you see someone carrying a cross, you're seeing someone that's a sinner in your mind. You're seeing someone that's done wrong. And you're seeing someone, you're like, I'm glad I'm not them. I pity them. They're, they're just carrying their cross to their death. And Jesus says, yeah, that, that, that's what it means to follow me. So what it means to be a disciple is really hard. And, and that's what I wanted to impress on, on all of us this morning. Um, I didn't want to bring the mood down necessarily, but I wanted to make it very clear that like, being a disciple of Christ is challenging. But Jesus has lovingly and graciously invited all to partake in that. 
And you know what part of being a disciple is? Is not just thinking of the here and now, the sacrifices. It's trusting in his promises. So when he says that I'm going to prepare a place for you, um, you can imagine whatever kind of place I suppose you want to imagine, but that promise is true for you. Or when he tells those apostles, although it might be different than it is for us, when he says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, to some degree, that promise is true for any of us that follow him. When he says that he abides in us and we abide in him, well, that's true for us. That promise is true. Part of being a disciple is not just realizing we're carrying our cross and denying ourselves and being willing to give up our life, but we're also understanding that Christ is with us. And that's a blessing. Um, so this is what it means to be a disciple, and I'm looking forward to looking into Acts 18 through 20 to 21, really, to see the rest of uh, what it means to be a disciple. Just looking at Paul's third journey. Uh, we're a little bit early. Um, I'll go ahead and say a prayer just to end our time, if that's okay. And then I'm sure there'll be a couple bells, but we'll have a little bit of time before that. Let's bow.